Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of the Magicast. I'm your host, Scott Monroe. Welcome to episode 228. Uh, I am recording this on the Friday uh, afternoon on the 17th of November, and it's a special podcast because we have a very special guest. A couple of weeks ago, we had the, the wonderful Zach Lowy, and this week we have football writer, editor-in-chief at uh, at GIFN, featured in Football Italia, BBC Sport, The Babsu Babe, AJ English, The Times, and he, at Man United and the Football uh, P, underscore P, sorry, he's a 442 supremacy. He's also got a picture of Jeff Hardy in the top of his Twitter bio. We may talk about that later. It's the wonderful Kaus Pandy. How are you? Hi, Scott. I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. I mean, we've spoken on Twitter quite a few times, but we've never had a podcast, which is still a bit surprising to me. But yeah, glad to be here. <laughs> um, you're in India at the moment. Are you in New Delhi? Yeah, I'm in New Delhi. How is the country at the moment with a massive spectacle at the wonderful Ahmedabad Stadium going to happen on Sunday? Are you calm? Are you nervous? I mean, How are you feeling? Honestly, before the semi-final, it's the most nervous I've been for a cricket match in a while. <laughs> it, was, it was a coming together <laughs> of many, you know, many of these storylines where New Zealand have beaten India in the T20 World Cup probably about a couple of years mm. ago in that 2019 semi-final. I mean, it traumatized me to an extent that I gave up on the Indian cricket team saying that, I mean, we have the most amount of resources in cricket in the world and still we can't go past uh, the quarterfinals or the semifinals in World Cups. I sort of gave up. And the reason I was nervous for the semifinal a couple of days ago was because it was PTSD. I mean, I remember tweeting about it saying that it was PTSD for a whole nation. Uh, And for not just a nation, it was PTSD for about a couple of billion people on the earth. Mm. which is very unheard of. I mean, in football, we talk about, say, about a 1,000 people or something. This was about 2 billion people suffering from PTSD right before a semi-final. But yeah, I mean, for the final, people seem to be in a very vengeful mood, I would say, because it's Australia and it's 20 years on from that 2003 final, where, which is one of oh, yeah. my first for cricketing memories. I mean, I remember being, what, six at that time? I remember, I mean, vaguely uh, being told by my parents that, oh, Australia have got 350-odd. I literally didn't know that people could actually score 350 in cricket. I mean, (laughs) this was me being six. And as I grew up, I realized that scoring even 400 is achievable now. But back then, I remember being... Uh, constantly told that oh Australia this Australia that and now it seems as if India are similar to what Australia were back then so it's Mm. almost like it's time for revenge but I think I'm not as nervous as I was about three days ago against New but I think I'm sort of optimistic I would say well, it's, uh, we won't be talking about football. I just wanted to get this cricket because we are both cricket fans. Um, I've been a cricket fan since 1995. Uh, I've been going to a, a bit of cricket games recently in the last couple of years, post-COVID. Um, I went to Lords 
and the Oval a couple of times this year. And I actually did get to see Australia India um, uh, second day two Wasn't of the the, the, the World Test Ch- yeah. the World Test Championship final. Uh, it was with the India fans. They're amazing. They are cut above the rest, but it's it's quite poetic that it's in India. India are ten for ten. But there also there's also that image in the back of your mind that thinking two thousand eleven, India won it in the home nation in their home nation, two thousand fifteen, Australia won it in Australia slash New Zealand, England by the barest of margins, and there is still some salty Indian fans keep mentioning about mm-hmm. uh boundary count back and you only tied it twice, but still got to win the World Cup. And then um, and then this year which has been a quite a good World Cup after a slow start. India get to win it in their home nations. And for them, it's been perfect. And I think it's going to be a really good final in that wonderful Nahendra Modi Stadium, which is quite poetic. Well, I know people don't like the man <laughs> um, with, with, his, with his background, but it's one hell of a stadium. Yeah, I mean... More than anything, I think people speak a lot about the fact that oh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Indian players. But I think the way this team has played, I mean, I remember that the semi-final against New Zealand, there was a point where Rohit Sharma smacked uh, Trent Bolt over covers for six. I mean, that mm. shot literally told me that this man uh, has molded the team in his image. Uh, and this team screams of the fact that we will be ourselves and regardless of how much pressure we have on our shoulders, we'll play the Rohit Sharma way, which is, you know, very carefree. Um, Mm. I think that sort of attitude has rubbed off into the players. And I think that's why when a lot of people say that, oh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Indian players, I don't think there's going to be as much pressure as people think. I mean, there's obviously the burden of the occasion that, oh, it's a World Cup fun for India's time in, what, 12 years? But I think mm. it, they're going to be fine. Then they're not going to be overburdened or something, which we, which is a term we use a lot in in football, where uh, we say that if it's a Salernitana playing in a Coppa Italia final, we're going to be saying that oh, they're going to be overburdened by it. I don't think that's going to be case be the case for India because they've sort of built this image where they're very, uh, I wouldn't say calm. I mean they're very. They, they don't seem to be by much. But I think that's going to be a big talking point in the final as well. I cannot wait to watch this on Sunday. I really cannot. I'll be glued in front of Sky Sports, maybe playing a bit of Football Manager 24 in the background, um, just to just to keep by, but it should be a really good watch. I know people will be listening. They're talking about cricket on a football podcast, but let's get to the football. Um you're an avid lover of Serie A, as for myself, but can I ask about your website as well um, and what you do on your website about Italian football? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much all things Italian football. Uh, I mean, we uh, do a lot of news pieces. We also have a lot of features going on there. We have got this collection of writers that you know support different sort of clubs. We also get a lot of exclusives there. Um, and my job is to pretty much oversee all of it. 
um, you know, the, the everyday running of it, the social media bit and how we're doing on, you know, the, 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 the syndicate websites. And we're obviously, you know, uh, a lot of times the focus on, you know, the top seven, top eight clubs. But there's, you know, since it's uh, Serie A, we never know. There's, it's pretty chaotic. And I think it's, that's, I think, the beauty of it. And that's why a lot of people are lured by the, the, the very charm of Serie A. And I think the goal is to capitalize on that very fact that Serie A is, is you know, a very different sort of uh, footballing avenue as compared to the Premier League. And I think the website just wants to tap into that. And I think we've seen over the last, say, seven, eight years, a lot of English-oriented uh, English Italian football coverage. And I think... It's it's really good for Serie A because I, I remember when uh, in the early 2010s uh, there was Serie A in India, but I remember media coverage being all about you know the Premier League or unless an Italian team played in the mm. Champions League. So I mean, in 2023, it's really nice to see that uh, a lot of Serie A coverage is out there, and I mean it still has to increase, but I think it comes down to these outlets, including the Italian football news, um, to make sure that Italian football in some way get, I mean, we can't, you know, directly do it, but at least indirectly um, have this uh, responsibility on ourselves that maybe play some, 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 some sort of role. Can I ask about the coverage in India? Who's got the rights for Serie A? Is it Star Sports or...? Um, I don't think another, Star another channel ever had Serie A rights. It used to be, I mean, oh, okay. currently it's a channel called, I mean, uh, I think it's a channel called Sports 18, which is run by, I think, the biggest okay. uh, biggest uh, um, sports broadcasting network in India. I mean, it's grown rapidly over the last year because they got their FIFA World Cup rights and then they got their oh, IPL nice. rights as well. And there was the women's IPL. Yep. So they are you know, yeah. one of the most. I I think it's probably the most prominent now because they they they're they're run by the most uh, uh, richest family in India, and I think that the person who runs that is actually one of the richest people in the world. So they currently have rights for that. And about I think about a couple of years ago, Seria Seria had no broadcaster in India, which used to be a shame. This was when Ronaldo left. Um, and all of us just had to stream matches online. But I think I'm quite glad that um, Serie A matches are regularly on TV, uh, even though there's no Cristiano Ronaldo around now. Because when Ronaldo was around, uh, there was, you know, too many people asking for the broadcast rights of Serie A. Only there, there was a one channel that got it. But since he left, uh, the demand for Serie A sort of reduced. Um, and I think that also coincided with Kaku leaving for Chelsea and uh, sort of Ibrahimovic not being that sort of a regular face at Milan. But I think it was only this year when the season started off that we got that, oh, this channel is going to broadcast Serie A. I mean, we literally got to know that three days before the league started. Uh, but yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's how weird it's been. <laughs> I mean, we go on about how bad Serie A are at their broadcasting rights and the way they sort oh, of yeah, globalize their league. And I think the way they've handled that stuff in India says a lot. Um, 
I think Copa Italia don't even have a channel for uh, broadcasting in India. We still have to watch games on either YouTube or uh, uh, find those shady streams online to watch it. That's That's dodgy stream, yeah. Otherwise, we that that completely ads. that completely wrecks your computer afterwards. Yeah, you get too many ads, and you get yeah. like, there's major risk of you. You know what? what I think. Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame that there's no Copper Italia rights over here in the UK. We've got split, so TNT Sports, which has uh, Premier League, League uh it did have the Bundesliga, but Bundesliga is now on Sky Sports or Sky Football with all, what they've got, uh, and they've got the the three uh, the European, so Champions League. Uh, Europa League and the Conference League and Serie A is on TNT Sports they just show the games there's no uh, like pre-show or anything like that that was when they first got the rights in the summer of 2022 it was on Premier Sports which is now called Via Play which shows La Liga the European Championship qualifiers which they bought the rights for um, off Sky and they've got the Scottish Cup football, uh, but the Copper Italia is on that. So it's on two different channels. Mm. Um, so you have to split the rights. It was the other way around during COVID. TNT Sports, which was BT Sports back then, had the rights for the Copper Italia. And then Premier Sports, which is now Viaplay, had the um, the Serie A. But it's been quite good. It's been quite good to see it branch out to, to TNT Sports because I think... Previously, it was on a streaming platform, which the company went bust, and they showed, um, oh, what did they show? They showed Dutch football, Spanish football, Italian football. I think they showed Belgian or Swedish football, and then some other stuff. You had to have, watch it on your computer, and it used to buffer, and it, that was only for six months. That was the season when Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Juventus, yeah. and then after that, I think, it went down. I can't think of the um, the name of the streaming service. Someone's going to listen to this in the next couple of days and just be screaming at their uh, at the podcast device they listen to on and absolutely screaming. It'll come to me. It'll come to me at the end of the day. But it's good that um, there is a platform in India for Serie A, even though it's the shit so that they do it three days before the season starts. It sounds very Serie A and Italian football-based. I mean, not even Indian football is this bad in terms of the way they globalize their product because I think the advantage in the UK and a lot of the other European countries, I mean, I won't count the UK as a European country anymore because of Brexit, but you you know what I'm saying. Um, Because in India, we do have a lot of sports channels, but the problem is that say 90% of them just have cricket on. I mean, you can literally open a, uh, you can literally watch a sports channel here. You watch a 2013 IPL game playing for absolutely no reason. When there's... Oh, I'd love that. When there's literally a Serie A game to be broadcast and viewers yeah. broadcasters are literally not caring about it because there's a Real Madrid-Barcelona game. Huh? I mean, I get that. But the way the point mm-hmm. is that there's too many channels out there but cricket absolutely dominates it. And that that's good. But then for the other sports and the Indian national team, especially, it's a bit sad. How is the standard of the 
Is it ISL in India? How is the standard of football out there? Don't, do you get to go to many games at all? I've not been to ISL games, but I'm I'm not a follower of it. But it's like they've tried a they've tried a lot of ways to make sure that the standard goes up. And I think the Indian football standard has actually gone up because recently, over the last three months, Indian the national team has actually won a couple of fees, which is which is actually rare. I think the stand has gone up and we've seen a lot of uh, international exposure uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the partnerships they're trying to strike up and the, the commercial deals that they have, uh, especially from the Premier League, uh, where there's tie-ups with the Premier League. It's where Premier League uh, clubs send their youth teams uh, to India and they uh, play matches with the local clubs there. I mean, not just the local clubs, but the reserve teams of the ISL clubs. So that's a very good initiative. But I think in India, a lot of things just come down to the education system in place. I think it's a very different existential conversation altogether. But if, because if we get the education system right, get a lot of our sporting structures right. And I think that's where, that's what a lot of people don't really want to talk about because it's a very detailed and in-depth discussion. But I think... They've tried a lot. And I think ISL is the top tier league and then comes the I-League. I-League, about uh, 15 years ago, used to be the first division. And the ISL, which is run by, again, the the, the richest man there, the same guy who runs that channel I talked about. Uh, so he said that I'll take over Indian football. They brought up the concept of the ISL. And since then, they've been the first division. And I-League, which historically used to be Indian football's quarter, became the second division. And then we have the I-League second, which is the third division. So that's how things work. And I think things are starting to improve. But I still don't see India playing the up in the next, what, 12 years or something. I mean, I hope I see that still the time I'm alive, at least. <laughs> Yeah, there's still time. Carl, like I'm, I'm, I'm Scottish. Well, my dad's side is Scottish, and I was like, Scotland are never going to get a World Cup in my lifetime. I got to see them once in a World Cup, and then back to back Euros. Yeah, in in 21 and now in 24 in Germany. But never know; it could happen with the exposure of all the stuff that's going on. Um, should we talk about Syria? Yeah, yeah. That's why I brought you, uh, asked you to come on. You're like me. You like to embrace the chaos of Serie A. And I think the chaos has been embraced in the last couple of seasons. We've had four different winners in Inter, uh, AC Milan, and Juventus, and Napoli. I had to think of the third <laughs> team there. Juventus won it the COVID season, okay, the first okay. one in 2920. Yeah, they did, they won it by Richard Sarri. I'm not wrong. By the yeah. end but I think they had it wrapped up with about yeah, a yeah. game or two to spare. Yeah, yeah I think they lost and to they the Neze, where you, there were a lot of those Matthias Delete memes back. I love those. Oh yeah, <laughs> so they lost to the Neze at I, point in the last couple of games, if I remember that right. I used to just call him Control Alt Delict when, 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 when he was at Juve. It almost seemed as if his hands had this ball magnet where 
every third game. Oh, God, yeah. He's going to get to four give these handballs away. It was brilliant. And also they won it with Sari in charge and then they got knocked out of the Champions League by Leon, who've just gone on this horrific slide at the moment in Liga. But then you had Inter won it with Conte in 2021 when then Lukaku left to go to Chelsea for the most amount of money I've seen in a, in a long while. And then Conte pissed off because he <laughs> does those sort of things. Milan won it in a Milan way in which they were quite structured and quite okayish to watch but at clutch moments they had they found these moments to win games and then Napoli just dazzled us all last year with Osman Kavatskalia who I watched yesterday for Georgia yeah, against yeah. Scotland he became the most petulant footballer I've seen in the last couple of months. He started moaning at everyone, spent the most time on the ground, scored two great goals. The second goal was an absolute wonderful goal. Nearly should have been sent off yesterday in, in the game, but uh, then said some stuff about Scotland today. He became the third player to say stuff after Rodri and Martin Odegaard. Did he so, say something yeah. along the lines of uh, playing dirty and stuff like that? Yeah, Scott McTominay called them crybabies, which made me laugh because <laughs> three of their players spent most of the time on the floor just rolling around. One of the players who plays for Le- Levante just tried to get McTominay sent off. He barely touched him. He then hacked McTominay and just, oh, it was, it, if you ever get the chance to watch the game on, on these websites where you can full replay them, it's it's just it's brilliant, but it's just shit housery. It's it's funniest, but well, I, I love Cavett because of the United Flag. Oh, yeah, uh, I tell you what, like uh, I, so we I have someone who comes on does the podcast with me called Joey, and I just say the Scottish sedan has scored again. The Scottish sedan is literally tearing it up, and he's he's wonderful but you get to watch him for Manchester United because you are a United fan. But when he plays for Scotland, he's just a different kettle of fish. He's got this freedom to play in, like yeah, in, in exactly. a midfield three. And he plays in the final field as well for Scotland, which yeah. Eric Dunhag tries for United. But since we have Bruno Fernandes as a number 10, what's the point of playing Scott McTominay there where you want to control possession and he's not someone who controls possession? That's Sort of yeah. that United have, and McTominay gets abused a lot, but he's the one who scores the goals, scores the you know bottom goals. He's a clutch player, and he, and he scored two against Spain. I think he scored seven in seven. He did score that wonderful free kick against Spain, which if I recorded a podcast after that went in, I think I'd be taken off all platforms when it was oh, when the keeper barely got touched, and I I think it was given for. Jack Hendry being in an offside position, they backtracked, but uh, Scotland are going to the Euros. But I digress, I digress, because we were talking about Serie A. And got to I was going to ask how Jack Hendry is doing, because I used to watch him a lot at Celtic. I mean, not a lot, because he didn't play too much, but he used to think that mm. he never had a future there, but he's now playing for Scotland a fair bit. He's done all right for Scotland, and now he's playing in the Saudi League with Steve, uh, for Steven Gerrard's team. Oh, is he? I, I don't know that. Yeah, because he was at Cremonese yeah, last season um, with their wonderful signings that they did and they got relegated last season in Serie A. I was, 
and then he went, I think he went somewhere for six months afterwards, and now he's in the Saudi league playing for Steven Gerrard's team. Dude, I don't know, whenever he watched him play for Scotland, he was pretty much decent all the time. I mean, this was when, yeah. uh, the previous year, before the previous year, during the Euros, I thought he was decent. And then I thought, why is Celtic fans so angry at him? I used to check those reactions on Twitter. I used to think, are Celtic fans always this mad? Or are they just simply mad at Jack Henry and the fact that he's this almost like Christopher Ayer himself? Mm. I think Celtic fans are just simply angry all the time because it's, I don't know why. <laughs> it's the premiership. Well, they had they've that. got the Rangers rivalry. Yeah, they had Ange and now they've got Brendan Rodgers. So That's a reason to be yeah. I know who I prefer. <laughs> yeah, I know who I prefer. It's Ange ball all the time. But do you think on Serie A, do you think we'll be getting our fifth different winner in, or actually, yeah, fifth different winner in five years? Or do you think it could be into off pod? We were talking about Juventus and the black and white because we were talking about Allegri. Or do you think it will be someone else? Maybe could you see someone being like, like an Atalanta or something, or is there just too much with Inter and the quality that they have in the team and the, the function and the structure of Juve of Allegri and his, dynamic 3-5-2 of a leg ball, which I've need, now seen on Twitter <laughs> called terrorism ball. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's, it's out of reach or you just think that it it's going to be Inter or Juventus or maybe one other? I mean, I have this feeling that it might just be you with themselves. I mean, I obviously yeah. want it to be Inter because it's that doesn't involve Max Allegri. But I can't, I've got this feeling that, and it's probably because of the fact that Allegri has won it before for a couple of clubs. Uh, yeah, Milan and Juve. That's probably why I sort of align towards Juve. And the fact that we've not yet seen Dusan Lawic hit form. I mean, early on in the season, he was pretty decent scoring a couple of goals or three goals or something. Then he lost a bit of form and we've not yet seen him get back to form yet. And the same applies for Chiesa as well, by the way. He's lost that cons- that mm-hmm. sort of form that he had early on. And I think when Vlahovic and Chiesa get together and start playing consistently, we're going to see uh, more of that attacking impetus. We've seen Moise Kane play a fair bit in recent weeks, and he's actually done really well. Uh, and, I like Moise has, Kane. Yeah. and I like Moise Kane a lot because of the way he's unfairly treated over, over the course of his weird career. I think he's been decent and I think you sort of think that when Vlaovic comes back and Kiesa is not injured and they start playing regularly, we'll see. I'm not saying they'll improve, but I think they'll just keep this on. And then there's that perception around Inter, that Pazza Inter, where we know what they, what sort of moments they can have towards the end of the season, especially when it comes to Juve. Where, and we're obviously talking about this about a week before they actually play each other um, next weekend. Yeah, next su- next Sunday, yeah. Yeah, and when these two were constantly against each other in title races before the before the COVID season, we always used to see Juve come out on top. Because I remember this mm-hmm. was during Conte's first season where I thought, I mean, uh, when uh, they played each other and I thought, this is going to be Inter's game. I can't see past uh, Inter. And then you would just won that game because of a goal from, I think, Gonzalo Higuain scored and Ronaldo scored. And then 
Juve just picked things up from there and then went on to win the league. So I think whenever these two sides play, it's like this vital point in the season and you have always got that win and then from then on they've pushed on. Even though I think Inter, this season's Inter are a bit different. I think the signings they've made, especially with Thuram and Benjamin Power, I mean, Power's obviously injured for a couple of more months because of that, uh, I think it's a kneecap injury of some sort. Yeah, Nick, he got it against Atalanta yeah, in the yeah. last game before the international yeah. break. So I think they seem to be a much more controlled side in possession. Uh, well, yeah, I think against you, where Bastoni is not going to be around because he's picked up an injury himself. He's he's injured, yeah. He got replaced by Mancini yeah, in the Italy squad. that even Chalanoglu might not be there. And Chalanoglu's been brilliant all season. I mean, pretty much mm. since Brozovic started dropping off since last season, Chalanoglu started to play as a defensive midfielder. I think Chalanoglu is one of the best deep-lying midfielders in Europe this season. Uh, so I think, and Vlahovic might as well return for Juventus in the next game. I think Juve have a fairly decent chance of beating Inter and going top of the league. Uh, I think. I somehow can't see past Juve, but I'll be surprised. I'll be not surprised. I'll be really happy if to do it because I'm, as I said before the podcast started, I want Marcus Suran to win it and show that things can be done without a certain Romelu Lukaku. Yeah. Never know. Lukaku could have a story to tell in the, in the title race for Roma beating one of the teams to help him to win the league. That'd be quite a narrative after what happened in the summer and what happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, how do you feel Serie A has gone this season so far? So what have we had? Is it 12 games we've had so far? Yeah. So pretty much a third a third of the way through. It's been quite compelling. I've like, I tend to watch three to four games a week. One does include Roma. Um, and then it drains me and then I I am mortified, and then a full time I'm either elated, <laughs> like I was against Monza and Lecce, or a bit a bit dis- disheartened after the derby. But uh, it is what it is. Um, but it's been quite compelling this season so far. We've had the drop off of Napoli, yeah, and n- now the story of Rudy Garcia, who was an ex Roma manager, who did really well in his first season, and then the second and third season he dropped off and then got sacked in his third season. Got Mad Max back, Walter Mazzari, which is like the biggest drop off. And then I think you tweeted that something out about it's been a waste of a, a season so far for Napoli appointing yep. Rudy Garcia and then going back to Walter Mazzari. But for me, the story one. Two, there's been probably two stories so far this season in Serie A is the emergence of Bologna yep. under Thiago Motta, who's been absolutely wonderful to watch this season. And this is a Bologna side who played in the first two games of the season, AC Milan and an away to Juventus. And they should have won at Juventus because they got, they should have had a penalty before Vla, I think it was Vlajevic scored near the end. Yep. And they've been really good to watch. I tried to try and watch Bologna most weekends because they've got such an exciting squad. And also, it's a team I thought would do well this season. Is Salernitana because they had a a good end to the season last season with Paolo Sosa. They play. 
for me, they are the bogey, one of two bogey teams to play against Roma. The other one is Sassuolo. I hate playing Sassuolo, being a Roma fan in recent I think years. Every it is horrible to watch. Club hates playing yeah. against Sassuolo, <laughs> yeah. especially the face of Dominico Berardi every time he comes up against the oh. big side. He turns into the Lionel Messi of 2011 or something. He turns, yeah, he turns into peak Messi. Last season, the 3 4 game, Fratesi turned into like. Pete, Chavi, Iniesta combined into one. And I was thinking, Roma, please sign him in the summer. Please sign him in. So we need that box-to-box midfielder. But he went to Inter and he's doing okay for Inter this season. But San Lutana, they had they've got a good squad. I love watching Buladia play. He's such a good striker. Um, it's a shame it didn't work for him. Out from, sorry, at Villarreal. He'd had a good season last season. Uh, um at San Antonio on loan, nearly went to Wolves this season in the January chance. Uh, sorry, the summer transfer window, yeah. and then Morgan De Sanctis went off on one in English to, to Gary O'Neill, which was that's, one of the best videos I've seen. Actually, the funniest part of Serie A this season by far. I mean, yeah. I remember well, finishing work on deadline day, realizing that nothing's going to happen anymore, and I wake up the next morning and see that. That's that was the best moment of not just this season, also the entire transfer window. It's peak Serie A at its best, but those are the two ones because Salonatana, I don't think they've won a game this season yeah. to date. I think they've drawn two or drawn three or four games and lost I think it's eight or nine. I could be I could be wrong. I'll look at the table let later. Lecce have done well. Yeah. Uh with um the former Sampdoria manager, who's oh, it's going to escape me. And then whoever there was the manager last season, Barone struggling at uh, Hellas Verona, but Empoli are doing a lot better with uh, uh, Andrea Zoli in charge. You've got Genoa. There's so many subplots to this season in Serie A. And then you've got like, like Inter and Juve. It feels like I'm watching football back in the 90s yeah, exactly. on Football Italia with these two these two combative teams just going back at it and Milan have dropped off a little bit there's rumours of Pioli could get the sack like they've brought all these they they had a really strong transfer window Roma for me have been a bit hit and miss I would love just to see them get back in the Champions League like when when we do podcasts we always think about how we want Italian teams to do well because you've got the new Champions League format next season. Yeah. So if you ever play football manager and if you play the new one and played last season's one into the second or third season, you've got this new competition, not the new format of the competition where it goes into a straight league format. And if you finish fifth, you have this slim window of opportunity of getting into the Champions yeah. League and getting that the dream pot of Champions League money and then you can have this wonderful transfer window and, and see what you can do. But there's so many twists, there's so many plots, but it is a massive, I've rambled on too long asking a question, but have you enjoyed the start of Serie A this season? Yeah, I mean, this is probably the first time since I started watching Serie A that we've seen a lot of iconic names as managers. Because we have people in Zaghi, mm. we have Simone in Zaghi, we have Alberto Cilardino. And we've got Eusebio Di Francesco. I mean, he's not an iconic name, but oh, he's someone a man. Who, I mean, he's someone who took oh. Roma to the Champions League semi-final after all, and people know him. I mean, in terms of 
Should have won. Should have won that game. We still talk about it five years later about the dodgy refereeing decisions. Yeah, no, we still talk about it. I still remember the the, <laughs> the, the the fact that hoping that Roma somehow pull off that late late ninety fifth minute goal in the second leg, which oh. never happened because it was Liverpool. I mean, I want Liverpool to yeah. out, obviously, but whatever. I mean, that there's Roberto De Versa as well who. Ah, that's it, Diversa. Sorry, yeah. that's the, the Lecce manager, the former Sampdoria manager. Yeah. yeah, because he, I sort of liked him at Parma when he had yeah, he did wow. Dejan Kulusevski and he had the iconic, uh, who's a former Arsenal player? Um, Javinia. And he, he had a couple of really good players in there and Parma were good to watch for a while. He couldn't do much at Sampdoria and then he's back here. And I sort of thought that maybe he simply relied on Kulusevsky's ball carrying during his time at Parma. But I've realized that he mm. might be a good manager after all, from how he's done now. And then we've got the uh, more iconic names. And then there's the chaotic Ivan Juric, who can't... Oh, I love, I love Juric. It's so funny. Who can't go a week without ranting or picking up a fight <laughs> with someone at the club or someone in the conference. But, and that, Have you seen that? Have you seen the video? Have you seen the video from last season? Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the video last season? Oh, oh. <laughs> on a far, was it on a farm or somewhere? And there's cows in the background. That, that was peak Serie A. Oh. You can't find that in any other league apart from one of the leagues in South America oh. where you saw one of the managers of a club running off to the VAR officials. Oh, the is it the Corinthians uh, yeah, yeah. CEO? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I you can get stuff like that in Serie A. I mean, that's what yeah. it comes, what what it's come down to. And there's Thiago Mota there, Mourinho. That sort of yeah, you said, there. yeah, you Ranieri as well. Yeah. I, I adore Ranieri. I can never. I always say thank you for coming to Roma in oh nine ten. Oh yeah, was whiskers yeah. away from winning the league and the cup double. Lost to Inter, who evidently won the treble. It was Jose's Inter side who were formidable, and then he also came back in twenty nineteen when Roma were on its knees and got to sixth place, a respectable sixth place. He was in tears on the touchline yeah. when Roma thanked him after the the Parma game, but. Like Ranieri's like a an icon and a staple of Italian football, mm. and I'm so pleased he's done a good job at Calorie and that they managed to get that win over Frosinone. Oh, and yeah. I missed what that game. That I missed that. As well. I missed it because because <laughs> I was watching India England. <laughs> That's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was watching England bowl well and then bat horrifically badly. But you, like I said, you still got these wonderful subplots. You name the managers. These are the teams, are the managers. That, we've not even that about, we grew up. You know, Vincenzo Italiano, Rafael Palladino. And these yeah. Guys, we've got them as well. I mean, we had Ruben Garcia, but he's not around. But we have someone worse in the yeah. line now. So oh, that's a bit of a doubt. I am so looking... <laughs> I'm so looking forward to the memes again and the gifts of Matsari and his first in his uh, first game back, which I think it may be the Saturday because I think they're in the Champions League on the Tuesday or yeah. Wednesday afterwards. So yeah, you know, I was reading uh, Il Martino, the the uh, Napoli newspaper. I was reading some something from there today, and it said that Victor Osimhen had his first interaction with Walter Mazzari and was actually in English. Which made me cry. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I imagine you've seen the videos of Mad Max yeah, trying to yeah. speak English when he was at Watford. I mean, oh, and, what, what a and man. the fact that Ossiman hasn't learned Italian yet, which is fine. But, yeah. Yeah. But the fact that Mazari has to talk to Ossiman in English and the fact that Ossiman that literally can't function without him and he's just returning. And I don't know. I mean, that the next six or seven months are going to be really weird for Napoli. I think the weirdest Napoli have been since Mazzari himself, probably. But I think, I don't know what Napoli want to do now. I mean, they've pretty much written off the season with, I mean, they. I mean, I remember tweeting about it, as you mentioned, that they sort of wrote off the season when they hired Garcia. But mm. it seems as if they'll be happy with the sixth place finish or something under Mazzari. And I know for a fact that it's not just because of finances, but it's because Igor Tudor um, didn't want a short-term deal, seven-month deal. He wanted more of a you know a stable project, two, two, yeah. which De Laurentiis obviously wasn't offering, which is a crying shame because I think I love Igor Tudor. He would have been a massive asset for Napoli considering what clubs like Fiorentina have. Uh, and the sort of football they play, and I think two doors somewhat similar. And I really enjoyed watching his Verona side play, uh, where they is really high up the pitch in their three-four-three. Giovanni Simeone scoring what about twenty-plus goals, and then getting their move to Napoli. I think that was a move where I was really looking forward to. But well, I don't know what Napoli are up to. Honestly, it's like uh, that squad is. Playing a four-three-three shape under Mazzari when Mazzari himself played a three-five-two shape, and I think Mazzari has never played a four-three-three uh, in his whole career. I mean, on a consistent basis, and he's been asked to play that role of sorry, play that formation at Napoli just to make sure that the president's happy and the fact that the players can play that. <laughs> but the the playing style won't change. I mean, that's that's what De Laurentiis hasn't hasn't managed to. Um, think of because even if you play a three-four-three, a manager, a manager like Walter Mazzari, who's always been that pragmatic for pragmatism first manager, he'll somehow make sure that a four-three-three formation is the most dullest thing on earth. And I think <laughs> yeah. when it's usually not the case, uh, especially if you look at some a side like Fiorentina, which is the mm-hmm. team I usually. Uh, I won't say support, but more like a follower. Keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah, follow, keep an eye on, yeah. I mean, Fiorentina make the 4-3 seem so beautiful and elegant with the way they approach approach the game. But Mazzari is going to knock the stuffing out of the nation a couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a frustrating watch. Especially considering it's Osimhen returning, Quaracelia returning to form. And that Politano's been really good this season, which is a nice to me. Oh, he's, I think he's been one of Napoli's best players. Yeah. I fear for I fear for Napoli when they go to the Bernabeu in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. They could get massacred. I mean, they could get absolutely massacred. And, it, and I, like us Italian football fans will be thinking, just get a result so it can help with the coefficient and get more teams into Europe. But yeah, um, I I can't wait to watch Napoli play um, next week. I'll be glued 
uh, if I am actually not at a game myself, because I never know. They could have the 2 p.m. The oh, yeah. 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. slot on a Saturday, which is the the dreaded blackout rule. Yeah. I'm just going to have a look now who they've got. Because uh, they play... Bear with me. They're, oh, no, they've got Atalanta. Oh, oh it's the 5 o'clock game. It, yeah. Atalanta and Napoli, the 5 out, o'clock game. Considering how it's not playing, you can't, you can't say that they can't win. I mean... I think Atlanta will be the favourites for them. Yeah, so I know I will go on. I will be talking about Roma and Mourinho in a minute, but this is a baptism of fire for Mazzari. Yeah, Atalanta away, Real Madrid away, Inter at home, Juventus at home, uh, Juventus away, <laughs> is, Braga at home. Is that what a start looks start looks like? Um, yeah, so that's horrific. Yeah, and then he's got Calorie and Frosinone, and then it's the Roma game, and then the Monza game, and then it's the uh, Christmas New Year break. So that's a a baptism, baptism of fire. I mean, I remember tweeting about this when Mazzari was appointed, that Quaracelia and Osiman went from imagining themselves playing under the likes of Ancelotti and Pep Guardiola to playing under Mazzari himself, which is... <laughs> which is <laughs> I won't impose that punishment on to my worst enemies. No, no, no. I wouldn't do that to my worst worst my worst neighbours or worst friends. Um well, shall we talk about Roma? Uh, this is a Roma podcast, but we like to delve into other topics as well in Italian football and that. Uh, and the Jose Mourinho, he has his fan base on social media, which we've got to know in the last couple of years. You've wrote some stuff about Jose in the new in this magazine that I've actually got. Uh, it's the coaches, uh, the gaffer. Oh, yeah. It's next to me, and I look forward to having a look at, at, at this. I think, is there going to be copies of new ones coming out soon? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the yeah, that's good. editions of different managers, I mean, this was the first edition that was about Jose. The second one is going to be about Ancelotti and so on. So it's oh, going to be yes. a monthly sort of reflection of the most iconic managers in football. Next one's Ancelotti. I'm not sure about the third one, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be someone of the same stature. I mean, sort of the, the, the same sort of level. I hope it's a Alex Ferguson. I was going to say Rafa Benitez as a joke, but we'll say Sir Alex, who is an absolute icon of uh, English and British football. Yeah, it's got a, a lovely picture of Jose. I want to say um, Benfica or Porto days, um, early Jose. I didn't. I think it's Chelsea. I mean, as far as I or know. Chelsea. Yeah, it's. He's got the the black with a yeah. tinge of grey in his. He, he's. I reckon he's mid. Early forties could be Chelsea, could be Porto, maybe Inter. But yeah, it's it's looks a good read. I had a when I come back from the infamous Aldershot Swindon game a couple of weeks ago, which ended seven four, and Swindon was seven 0 down after fifty five minutes. I got this and had a quick look, and it it looks really really good. It's got like I mean, the early stuff of like. Yeah, I haven't read it properly. I've just gone through it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. And it's it's also got something on Bella Gutman, which I'm looking forward to read also. So I do like Bella Gutman's stories. So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one. The that's weirdest one. part about that was but, that my piece on that was about 
PRM, sorry, my, uh, the piece I did in that magazine was about Jose's defensive midfielders. Um, oh, really? And I'll on take the a look, very yeah. cover page of that um, story was an image of Pierre Emil Huygens. Someone commented saying that you talk about Mourinho's famous defensive midfielders and on the cover page is Pierre Emil Huygens. Which, which is certainly <laughs> ironic, but there's an image of Matic as well there, so that makes up. Yeah. So I'm just thinking of his iconic defensive midfielders. Um, doesn't have one Lele? now. Doesn't have one now. No, it's, it's Paredes. <laughs> Paredes or Cristante. I love I love watching Cristante play this yeah. season. I think he's been one of Roma's best players. It's, it's just, when you take him out of that Roma team, you realise how much of a job he does for that team. Yeah, and exactly. there's, there's actually talks, there's talks yesterday that Tottenham are preparing to offer 30 million for him. I'm like, do you take the money? I think sometimes I think as if Cristante's most, uh, I think Cristante's individual best actually came during the Paulo Fonseca season. I think the last one it was mm-hmm. Fonseca thought we'll play a back three where uh, and he played centre-back. Yeah, played centre-back. Yeah. And then out of possession, he uh, also played as a midfielder. I think that's his best yeah. role. Um, I think Mourinho's turned him into a different player. I think it's one of the few Roma players that Mourinho has managed to improve individually. Because I think yeah. the good thing, the, the sort of uh, weird thing for Mourinho at Roma, and I think for Mourinho at a lot of clubs, is that he doesn't improve individual players. He improves the team as a whole, which is also a really nice thing to have. But I think Cristante is actually one player who's actually improved uh, as an individual, which can't be seen yeah. for too many players there because they've... Remember when uh, Roma reached the Europa League final, I remember speaking to someone. Some people told me that, why are you saying that uh, a lot of Roma players aren't uh, at a higher level than they were when uh, when before Mourinho stepped in. And I realized that mo- people say that Smalling's been great under Mourinho, whereas, whereas I think Smalling was great under Fonseca as well. But mm-hmm. the problem now, I mean, not the problem, I mean, the good thing for Smalling now is that he plays as the very, uh, s- in a very central defensive role, where Roma play in that compact shape and it Helps Spalling because he's 33. He's got these injuries coming in every... I mean, he's injured now. But he's been this injury-prone centre-back and he can't function in a higher defensive line anymore. So that helps him now. And I don't think Mancini's... I mean, Mancini gets a lot of it and I'm, I'm not a major fan of him. But I think Mancini's all similar to Cristante, I think. He was also used in a dual role under Fonseca in his last season where... He also had a centre-back sometimes as a defensive midfielder as well. Mm. I think that was his best role. I think what Mourinho has done, essentially, is that he's improved Roma as a unit. uh, And in turn, he's improved them as a defensive side. And it's not to say that he's been bad. Not a lot of individual players improved. Because even at Man United, remember, it's Man United's spell or even Scotland's spell. Both the teams improved structurally. But once Mourinho left, it seemed as if these players were liberated and they, you know, went up a level. I think it's it's a weird dilemma with Mourinho, but at least he improves those teams defensively with his own setup, which is a really nice thing to have. 
Yeah, I agree. I think him, like you mentioned Chris Dante and Mancini, those are the two standouts of Jose's Roma. I think they embody Jose's yeah. Roma. Uh, uh, there's been players who have improved a little bit. I like Off the bench, Stefan Alcherari is a game changer and has players. done well for Roma. Yeah. There's there's been like, in recent Celeski and Bove are the like the two young kids who have come through the uh, the Primavera. And he, oh, I nearly went the English way and said the academy, but it's the Primavera players. And in recent games, he's been throwing in Primavera players to play in Europe and stuff like and that. I, he has given honestly, them the I chance. Sort of like Tahirovic and Walpato as well. When they, yeah. I think Walpato scored on yeah. his debut. In the Europa League or something last season? If I'm not uh, wrong, I'm not sure. I think I think it may have been a league game or cup. Yeah, and Tahira, which was decent in a lot of uh, group stage Europa League games last season as well, and he went up to Ajax. So it says that the youth players did grow a fair bit under Mourinho, which a lot of pe- people have the stereotype that oh, Mourinho doesn't improve younger players, which he's shown that he definitely does. He did he did that at Man United, Scott McTominay. So I think stereotype yeah. which needs to be uh, got over as soon as possible around Mourinho. He's had like Felipe Missouri, who's now yeah. with Valparto at um, Sassuolo. You mentioned Tahirovic, who's now at Ajax. Um, I think they, Roman got like eight million euros for yep. him. That's that's really good deal for a. A, a, a very tall, elegant defensive midfielder who I think he said in recent days that Nemanja Matic helped him a lot when he was yeah. at Roma. Like He's played Zaleski, who has been a bit up and down this season because Spinazzola's come in. Stefan Alcherari can play on the left and Alcherari can play up front. Eduardo Bove has been an absolute... Rele- rele- he's been like a revelation in like this season. I call him a... He's like a puppy like an adorable puppy who's so energetic yeah. and he wins the ball high up and starts like Roma attacks and then after 80 minutes he's absolutely yeah. shattered I think why I sort of have this liking towards Eduardo Bove is that like I've read a lot about him and the fact that uh, the way his background has shaped up to be he knows about four languages mm-hmm. I think he knows English yeah yeah he knows yeah he's I think I've heard him speak English in in interviews when when Roma went to Japan after, after during the World Cup. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. in Italy, in Italy now, I think a lot of people. I've been to Italy oh, since COVID. How many times? Three, three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went three three times last season, and I was speaking to some people. My Italian's not the best. I can get by, order food and stuff like that. Yeah. Not to have a conversation, can order drink and food, but a lot of the people, as you said, they speak English because mm, I think at yeah. schools yeah. you're taught to speak English. And I think Bobe's higher education has also been from a yeah. English sort of university, and I think that's right on yeah. Mourinho's uh, Mourinho Street because he, and not just Mourinho Street. I think for someone like Pep Guardiola as well because he likes these smarter individuals. I'm not saying that people who don't have that sort of education aren't great but that puts them in a good really good stead and a really good starting position it gives them a really good foundation to be uh, really good professional footballers and I think Bove has that advantage of knowing that 
he needs to be learning constantly to improve and you can see that as you mentioned that mm-hmm. he's constantly trying to win the wall higher object pitch which is a very uh, good trait to have even for a lot of managers out there for someone like Sevinchenzo Italiano or someone like Igor Tudor or uh, Thiago Mota because these managers rely a lot on pressing high up the pitch and uh, this tells you that Bove is a very modern day footballer uh, and I think the fact that he's played uh, has made sure that, uh, I mean, Roma do miss Lorenzo Pellegrini a lot. But the fact that Bo yeah. has been around, it's been sort of a positive spin across that. Uh, and the fact that his, he's he's been really good since he started playing regularly, especially uh, I remember watching his debut and thinking that he's the sort of player I'm going to like in a couple of years when he plays regularly in the first team because he's such a refreshing watch. He never stops running. I think he scored on his debut yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Was that against Hellas Verona? Yeah. The 2-2 game, which was crazy. And the Roma's, the kids won the game, or not won the game, that got the point for Roma after a sticky start. Um, got a final couple of questions before we wrap up. We have almost gone an hour and it's been an absolute wonderful hour so far. Um, what have your thoughts on Jose's Roma so far? We're into his third tenure. I mean, of, of the it, third tenure, third season, and it's been a bit up and down. Good European, but Serie A is it's it's a little bit disappointing at times. I think Mourinho is sort of operating in this harsh reality of AS Roma and Serie A, by the way, mm. which uh, he probably didn't think of when he took the job. And the Friedkins just came to him and offered the job, saying that oh, we have these promises lined up for you, and the, and that. Uh, we have this exciting project under new ownership. But over time, Mourinho sort of realized that this is Roma and the financial realities of Roma are very different from the financial realities of, you know, uh, free-spending Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United, which is uh, which puts them in an advantageous position when it comes to challenging for trophies uh, on, on the, or on the European stage. But I think for what Mourinho has had, um, resource-wise, not financial-wise, uh, I think he's overperformed uh, because I think uh, he's had these. I mean, we've talked about a lot of younger players, and it tells us that a lot of times, uh, a lot of Roma's senior players haven't always been fit, and there've been problems around the depth of the squad, and we're seeing that even this season uh, with a lot of new signings injured. Uh, and Mourinho's been going on about it. And I think that in a way, Mourinho has actually overperformed, considering the resources that Mourinho that Roma have had, and considering Roma's past, and that uh, Paulo Fonseca could only take them to a, a Europa League uh, semi-final, in which they lost to United, and then before, uh, and that came uh, after Di Francesco took them to a Champions League uh, semi-final. I think Mourinho having constantly uh, taken them to, you know, the higher positions in Europe while not exactly doing too well in Serra uh, tells me that he's done what he was brought in to do because if, a, if an ownership is uh, looking at Jose Mourinho, the very point of bringing in Jose Mourinho is to win trophies 
uh, and to somewhat, you know, uh, for at least a couple of seasons or three seasons, give up on the idea of a stylistic development of the side, which is what, you know, the more uh, more managers such as, again, Italiano do or uh, Thiago Mata. Deserbi. Yeah, Deserbi as well. I mean, mm. when Mourinho joined, I had this expectation that he is operating in a Roman reality where uh, he's not going to get the same amount of resources that he's gonna be, is used to. And I sort of thought that he's going to crib a lot about the resources or the lack of them, albeit due to the lack of squad depth. And there have been times when, especially I think it was against Feyenoord last season, that Paolo Dybala came up with a brilliant uh, all-time goal. Oh, that goal was wonderful. Uh, wonderful goal. That the game goes into extra time. And Mourinho had actually made that substitution uh, about 15 minutes before he actually scored. And mm. For the job that I thought he was being brought in for, I think he's done a fairly decent job and he's actually overperformed considering Roma's issues. And even when you look at the underlying numbers that Roma have displayed across the last two seasons, XG-wise and it comes to XG against, they've actually been really decent. Uh, they've I think they were second or third last season for XG scored. Even that was similar was the case two seasons ago in his first season. And that's really promising. And I think I'm a massive Tommy Abraham fan, but Tommy Abraham had this, has this weird habit of making sure that your team uh, gets involved. Uh, I mean, your team creates a lot, but he struggles to finish those chances off. And a lot of times, Roma missed a lot of chances, and which is why they sort of underperformed on their XG metrics. I think this season has been more about them, uh, you know, not coming up with the same sort of XG metrics as they did in the last two seasons, and they are pretty much performing as they were expected to. But I think I've been fairly happy with what Mourinho's done. And this is with the backdrop of where Roma are. And when you look at the sort of signings that have been made uh, and how injury-prone they are, I think the fact that Mourinho has achieved this much and he's managed to forge such a unique connection with Roma and the Roman fans and the people there, I think that those two things matter a lot for a club that was often mocked uh, for that bonsai trophy. And, and whatnot. I mean, Latvia fans <laughs> still go on about it. I mean, yeah. he's done a lot of good things. And I think even before he came in, Roma were not regular finishes inside the inside the Champions League spots. But I think he's definitely taken Roma to a different level. And I think when the next manager comes in, that's when Roma fans will realize that maybe Mourinho did something good. Maybe Mourinho escalated the level of the, the, level of the club and the perception that a global audience has for the club. So I think that's going to matter a lot when Mourinho leaves, and I think he probably will leave at the end of the season. Oh, that was going to be one of my, my next questions, but you've given me a, a pretty frank and honest opinion, and I sort of do agree, but like one of my traits with him, and I've, I've loved him what he's done at times this season and then last season, and you mentioned a particular goal in the Europa League last season against Feyenoord, there's like this never-say-die attitude. Like, Roma do play until the final whistle in some games. Like the Even if you game, look at the um, uh, game against Bayer Leverkusen in the second leg, 
I mean, yeah. that was one of the most Second painful leg. football matches I've ever watched. Oh, but my God. They did a I felt like job. I aged. They did a fine job in the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I, I'm, I'm 36. Yeah, I, I'm 36. I, I felt like I was 66 at the end of the game and just like screaming at the top of my voice. And we've absolutely shithoused a result in Europe because that was against a Bayer Leverkusen you know, team who were now, yeah, who are evolving into be one of the best teams in the Bundesliga to watch at the moment. And I think they will be up there in Europe and in the Bundesliga for uh, with Xabi Alonso in charge for a couple of years, unless he does go to Real Madrid, which I think no, that could happen. But like you mentioned, the, the Bayer Leverkusen game, there was a Real Sociedad second leg that like Roma absolutely bossed the first leg. Second leg, they just went yeah. to Real Sociedad. You have the ball, you can do what yeah. you want and then just do nothing. There has been games this season where Roma were, I'm just felt a little bit wanting, like yeah. the Inter Milan game where it's Inter Milan away and at San Siro. I just wish there was a bit more attacking threat. Yeah. And I just think... I think even the Lazio game. You had where, the Lazio yeah, game, yeah. Oh, I, like we did a podcast Monday and it was just both, both of us were like scratching our head. Like after the game, I was like trying to be reflective and just say, uh, it's a derby game. And it's like Roma had a lot of the ball, could have created a lot of chances, had like first 15 minutes were great. And then Luis Alberto hit the post. Yeah. And then, then Lazio didn't really offer nothing. The Lazio were for the taking. And then I was thinking, saw some people on social media going, this is like one of the worst derbies I've ever seen. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, have you not watched the 2005 derby, which was the worst derby of all time, which ended nil-nil and Antonio Cassano hit a corner out, out of play and it was the Biscotti game. And there's just like, I remember watching that on Eurosport and it's, nothing happened at all. But I have felt like, like I've been watching some games this season. I've been like the Genoa game, which was, hands down one of Roma's worst performances yeah, I've seen yeah. under Jose probably since the Bodo Glimpse 6-1 yeah. game like the Hellas Verona game was not great also and then you had the Salernitana game where Kondreva scored two worldies and you just can't think oh, what can we do yeah. and then those games you play against Empoli and like Servet and they just wipe the floor like against Torino they were uh, unlucky they should really put the game to bed and then like there's other games where they say this never say die attitude like Lecce I was like I was fearing the worst one nil down in added time and then Asman scores that wonderful head and then Lukaku rolls the defender which is not Barashalotto who's had him in his back pocket and probably flexing on him at the same time because he's built like a WWE superstar Lukaku just rolls the defender, takes one touch in his top corner. I'm going mad downstairs watching it. It's just like, and I wish, part of me wishes I I was in the stadium to watch that and see all the scenes and Salvatore Fotti running down the touchline to celebrate under the curve of Sud. And there's been those brilliant moments this season that capsulates Roma, but there's been the ups and downs. Uh, Part of me is thinking, let's see what Jose can do this season because I think he's got all the tools and the attributes and then and get all the fit players into the team um, a part of me thinks that I may have seen the last of Chris Smalling I think yeah. I don't recognise him in the shirt of Roma for 
I think, again, because I think there is rumours of him going to play in Saudi, which I I wouldn't be against. He's had a really wonderful career for Roma. Um, brilliant first season with Fonseca. Struggled the second season due to his injuries, but under Jose, he's been stellar. I like you've got Pellegrini to come back. You've got Renate Sanchez to come back. You've got um, the story with Spinazzola. Is he going to stay or is he going to go in January? Yeah, it went to Saudi clubs and just like Dybala and Lukaku, they're, they're yeah. just sort of clicking. Lukaku's doing well. Dybala's just come back from injury, struggled against um, Lazio because Lazio did a good defensive job on him. But I'm I'm optimistic. Like Roma got Udinese and then they've got, I think it's Servet or Sheriff Terrasball. <laughs> and then I think they've got Fiorentina and then you've got the horrible run of games of like Atalanta, Bologna, Juventus and uh, Napoli. But I'm, I'm quietly optimistic. Roma, should, uh, Roma will qualify out of the Europa League. It's just whether it's first or second. And then they've got Cremonese in the Coppa Italia. And then it's January and see if you can get some January reinforcements. There is talk of Eric Dyer. Yeah. If I speak, if I speak, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to say anything, but one way or another. Yeah. One way. It's, I, I saw it's either Malang Sar of Chelsea or yeah. Dyer. There is talk of a Monaco player for next season, but I'm quietly optimistic. I think, there was talks of if he can get a, a renewal for net for a fourth season, but as you said, I think I'm inclined to see. We sort of both agree that I think this could be Jose's last season. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think the reason why he stayed at the end of last season is probably because of the fans and the the sort of attitude that that yeah. he showed in the dressing room, which is what he's spoken about as well. I think if not for this connection with Roma fans, he would have left because he had offers on the table yeah. uh, six months before he uh, sort of made the decision to stay from the Portuguese national team. And then he had offers from uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi, wasn't it? I think yeah. he won't sign the deal uh, because he's now sort of realized that, as I said, he's realized the harsh realities of the Serie A and I don't think that's going to change. I don't think these realities are going to change anytime soon. Um, and that uh, he's looking around and seeing that uh, all the all the Argumentes agents, uh, uh, players out there are looking towards the Middle East. And he's one of those Argumentes uh, uh, clients. I think that offer not too far away, um, especially if you look at uh, the, the club that Nuno Esperito Santos just left. I'm not saying he's going to go there, but it just shows that uh, those clubs are not just uh, there for the players; they're there for for the sort of managers that can escalate the levels of their squads. And I think uh, I think he's done in Europe for the time being, unless the national team comes calling, which could be mm-hmm. uh, you know Portugal national team or uh, the England. or England. England could come. Or could be Scotland as well. You never know. Oh, no, 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 no. Steve Steve Clark. Steve Clark's doing a wonderful job for Scotland. I do not want Jose Mourinho at Scotland. (laughs) I don't see a difference in that. In the way they approach. In the way they approach. So that's not going to be uh, a tactical shift there. But I think 
Yeah, three five three five two. Um, wait. If he gets Kiarantini and Andy Robertson as overlapping centre backs and full backs, I'll be happy with that. I mean, he can't do David Roma. No, I think, no. I think he's really. Like, I mean, when Mourinho joined, I thought this is where he's been the most respected throughout his career, and this is the place mm. where uh, he's left with a glint of respect left because when he left Spurs. And when he left the Premier League, a lot of people, Premier League fans, uh, for whom I don't have a lot of kind words for, because that's those are Premier League fans. And I think they had this weird sort of hate towards Mourinho uh, just because things could not work out at Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, it didn't work for Antonio Conte either. didn't work out for a lot of managers in the past under Via Boas. So, I mean, and even at Man United where things don't work out for any manager at all. Uh, so he was shaped by that public opinion of the Premier League. I mean, his perception was shaped by that uh, Premier League opinion. And I think he came to Serie A and I thought this is a place where a lot of people still love him because Real Madrid mm-hmm. fans don't really love him anymore. Um, and Chelsea fans obviously still boo him, <laughs> which is which I still find really, really weird. But I thought this is where they still love him, and I I really want him. Just wanted him to sort of succeed uh, and win silverware, which he obviously has. I think he's come back to where he was loved the most, and I, and I think it'll be a really good time to maybe step away from managing in Europe and focus on you know managing in the Middle East, where uh, you know the limelight isn't as you know judgmental, more like because. A lot of people in who follow European football have got these weird opinions about Mourinho. So it might be a good time for him to get from that limelight. And I'm not saying just earn money, but just, you know, recharge and maybe someday, some years down the line, return to, you know, the mainstream European league. But I think this is it. And I think he's realized that he can't take Roma beyond where he's already taken them. If, if I was Mourinho, I would just leave the club. Uh, and the fact that his contract is expiring and it's not going to be, you know, a sacking or the fact that he's just saying that I'm going to join another club and you you have to pay a termination clause to terminate my contract. It's going to be a very peaceful exit and Roma fans are going to cherish that moment. And I think Mourinho being the emotional person he is, he's going to be pretty much as emotional as he was in that second leg against Bayern by Leverkusen. Running down the touchline, celebrating in front of the Roma fans in yep. the in the away end at the uh, at the Bay Arena. That, no, that, I I do agree with you. I think if he stays, it's it probably be one more season, and it will be see if he can get Roma into the Champions League. But if he goes, he goes. And if I my my final question, and we'll probably talk a little bit afterwards, is like, do you think if he does go, do you think he can get Roma into the Champions League, or maybe? Try and push again for that that final in the Europa League in in Dublin, or try and get a domestic trophy. Mm, I think Roma are probably going to finish fifth or sixth. I mean, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Saying that they're probably going to yeah. get a Europa League spot because even although it's still very early in the season, but the way their numbers are shaping up to be tells me that uh, they're probably going to be just outside the Champions League place because I've not seen that sort of consistency from them. Uh, and the fact that Atlanta have been playing much better in the 
the resources they have in the squad and the way they've uh, their xg numbers seem to be i think it's a drop off from last season when it comes to their overall underlying numbers when it comes to uh, the last two seasons and comparing them to the current season but again it's about the injuries that the, that the squad has and that uh, there has been that sort of instability because of all of that or i think fifth or sixth that's pretty much it because i think uh, the, the the top four are going to stay there and then it's going to be about hmm. atlanta fiorentina and roma and we, we're going to just yeah maybe lazio yeah push. maybe lazio yeah. as well we're just going to keep they they'll, they'll fight for that fifth sixth seventh eighth position maybe add in bologna in there if they if yeah. if uh, tiago motta you never know. It could be Thiago Mata. It could be Conte. It could be Gotchu the next season in charge at the Olympico. And I would probably pr- prefer if it's even Mata or Tudor. That be, could be quite interesting. Um, it, I was just going to mention if Jose goes to Saudi, and he, he doesn't have to deal with Anthony Taylor no more. <laughs> I mean, you never know. He's been demoted to the championship, so might as well. Uh, he, boy, he did do the. Ch- yeah. It did do the Chelsea Man City game, yeah, which yeah. my mate hates because my mate's a Chelsea fan and he despises Anthony Taylor. And I'm with him because he, he gave me PTSD after the Europa League final. Um, and that Chelsea Man City handball. game was taking place at the same time as the Roma Derby. Same time as the Rome Derby, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, one game ended 4 all, and the other game was yeah, an akin to a ball draw. And I was but, watching no, the goal. I, I, think, I wasn't watching the 4-4 game. Yeah. I was watching the goalless draw with my head in my hands and pacing in my in the living room up and down, thinking, bloody hell, just have a shot on target. Just get Providar working. But no, nah, a point is better than nothing. Just remember, there was no Roger Abanez, which was last year's oh, best yeah. player. And he's just, yeah, yeah and he's, I, was, I say he's balling out in Saudi, but I've seen some clips online. But yeah, it's I won't say anything more. Goal there. That's all I saw. Yeah, he scored a strange own goal and then gave, I think, the ball away for a goal. But yeah, um, it's, it's strange. But you did, like I said pre-pod, I, I played football manager also. Do you play the game at all? I used to, but I fear that I might just get addicted to it. So I stopped playing for the last two years. Yeah, or yeah you, you'll, you'll get addicted to it. I am Roma at the moment. I am top. You know, um, there was a time when, uh, this is, I think, football manager 15, where I won the league with Lazio for about five seasons in a row. And I resigned all wow. of a sudden uh, and went to Roma. <laughs> and I got oh, fracked wow. by Roma with six or seven months. That's the weirdest oh, thing I've ever And Walter yeah. Sabatini was the one who was in charge of transfers and he would never let me uh, take charge of transfers. That guy sold Raja Nainggolan off to Milan and I was left with the signing of, I think, a very young, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, that former Napoli striker who's now at, uh, forget it. I mean, he's, he couldn't score a goal and then I went off to manage Verona in, in Serie B and then I stopped playing that. <laughs> That's it, not oh. that game. Sorry. Oh. I had Andre <laughs> Petania, by the way. That that name skipped my oh. Petania, a very young Petania. I I played twenty four. I've bought it. It's better than twenty three. I am Roma. I am top. Um, 
I lost to Bala. He went to Saudi Arabia for his minimum fee release clause. And if you do get to play the game, I'm hearing it. And you manage the Europe. If you have an Amazon subscription or something. Or something like that, I'm not. Yeah. I think so. But if you if you play the game and you're a European club, watch out for Saudi because they will pepper you mm. for for their play, for your players. And it's it's like what playing that game is like turning it into a reality and then what we talked about earlier where the game is morphing into a reality realm where previously you had Spanish everyone was going to Spain everyone was going to Italy players were being bold and going to Germany you had the England buying players from Europe and stuff and that and South America but now it's turned because the money in Saudi Arabia is like being like everyone's getting tempted is, is it, is it, is it, it? It's quite freakish. Is it they? Is it like they actually buy off all the contracts of players? Is it that ruthless, or they wait for contracts to expire? And, uh, no, they buy players. Like I lost to, yeah, I lost to Bala for ten and a half million. Like he wouldn't sign a new deal. And then I looked at his wages and I sent it to my mate, who's a Liverpool fan, who's also been playing the game. And I, I just went. Just look at his wages. Mm-hmm. I, I took a picture. I was going to screenshot and post it on social media. It was seven hundred seventy-five thousand pounds a week. That's like, and I was just like four times what he earns right now. Yeah, Roma. I think the highest-paid player on the game is Cristiano Ronaldo on whatever he is on in in Saudi, and then I think it's Kylian Mbappe. But it's gone into quite an in-depth where. The Saudi, I know we're going off a tangent and I'll apologize for people who are listening to this, but uh, um, yeah, it's the Saudi, as you said, the Saudi clubs are ruthless on the game and in, in real life, they will just try and hoover up the talent and it's quite strange. Like I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm playing the game and like, oh really, you're after him? And like, okay, do I sell? Do I not? Is this going to happen in real life? Because like some of the transfers, like Gabby Vega, he went to Saudi. He could have went to Napoli. There's a Uruguay midfielder that is is a really talented player, Fabrico Diaz. I think he went to Saudi from Uruguay. I think he played for Liverpool in in, uh, Uruguay, or is it maybe Nacional? I I apologise. But uh, he's a young, talented player. And he's went to Saudi. Um, it's quite, it's quite surreal and a quite strange experience. And he sort of <laughs> hated that Sergei Milinkovic went to Al Hilal. But yeah. last week, I was supposed to be happy about the fact that I was going to watch him play because he was in Kubo's in game. India. Yeah, but he didn't play that game, so I still hate him. Ah, uh, and I watched a bunch of footballers who made some questionable decisions in their career play about a week ago, for Al-Hilal. It was Khalidu Koulibaly, Malcolm, Ruben Neves, Alexander Mitrovic. Players who made really questionable decisions in their careers. Like, wow. Malcolm could have been a Roma player, but he chose yeah, to join that's Barcelona. A, that's a different story now. That still haunts me. I, I respect Khalidou Koulibaly because I think he left Napoli at probably the worst time yeah. and then went to Chelsea and then lost it. Mitrovic just thought, F it, I could earn X amount of money. The one that was strange was Ruben Neves. I was I like, think that was a weird transfer. Point in the yeah. 
I wonder if he'll go back online, like maybe to Newcastle or someone like that, and that that will get Twitter talking. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. The whole, <laughs> the whole right. geopolitics conversation. Yeah. The, the Saudi geopolitics talking. Everyone will go into a full, complete meltdown in 2024. Um, do you have anything else to, to add? Uh, we've gone an hour and 20 minutes. No, I think we've gone on for so long. We've got so many topics. I don't think we've got too many left anymore. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, guys, you can follow us at lemagicast.com and you can find the back catalogue of the 227 previous episodes on the website. And you can find us on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Podbean, et cetera, and et cetera. And you're coming up to the time where Spotify do this. Is it the, your rap unwrapped, I think comes out in a couple of weeks. Uh, Yeah. Which I'm quite looking forward to. Mine's just going to be mainly cricket podcasts and football podcasts to talk about to listen to but Kaus thank you so much for joining me where can we find you on social media and where can we find your wonderful website thanks for on, having on, me on on X <laughs> yeah, yeah on X. Uh, thanks for having me on, on X I normally say and I'm yeah. at Kaus underscore Pandey 17 and the website's Get It Darling Football News and they're obviously on X or Twitter however you like to call it X X. I, I nearly said Twitter. Um, <laughs> well, I was like, "Whoa, X!" I don't want to get Elon Musk into into trouble. And uh, yeah, I, w- I won't say anything more about that. But thank you so much for joining me. Sorry for pestering you like last week and then a couple of times this week. But it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And you're more than welcome to come on again. Oh yeah, definitely. So we can have a, have a more in depth discussion and maybe talk a little bit about wrestling and your favorite wrestler. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. As I saw the podcast out there, I can do that at 4 a.m. If you wake me up <laughs> from a 24-hour-long sleep in the middle of it, I can talk about that man for two hours. I'll do that at some point. His favourite wrestler, favorite wrestler is the is Jeff Hardy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the charismatic hitting horse. I was going to say that, but yeah. Yeah, what a man. And I, a, a wrestler who I got to see wrestle live in Orlando, and it was one of the biggest pops I've ever seen. And it was quite poetic and quite joyous to watch because my mate had a complete meltdown. <laughs> it was quite funny to watch. He could not stop jumping, and we were quite close to ringside. And it, like we said pre-pod, it was like one of the longest WrestleManias I've ever been to. But we could have that discussion yeah. on another day. Nice. But it, it was wonderful to watch. But like I said, thank you so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll be back in... Oh, well, we're 17th. Uh, so Roma play on the 26th. We'll be back in 10 days' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully to talk about Roma Udinese and hopefully a Roma victory. But Kaos, thank you so much for joining. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week enjoy the international break I'm going to watch some League 2 football tomorrow on, on stream but thank you so much take care ciao